I'm going to ask that we bow in prayer, every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, convict, consecrate, convert, Blow is the wind, reveal is the light. Burn is the fire, and may we see no one save Jesus tonight, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Actually, we have three audiences tonight. We have the great audience that is here in the music bowl. And then we have an audience in the state of Victoria and in the city of Melbourne by television. And then we have a vast television audience in the United States on about 175 television stations tonight. And we want to welcome all of you to this audience. I received a letter today that I want to read. I, not, I do not normally read a letter uh, before a congregation like this. But I was asked on a program the other evening, a television program by a newspaper reporter, if we were going to hold any services for the uh, Boges and the Witches. I guess that's what you call them. <laughs> that corresponds to, in England, I understand, a teddy boy. I'm not sure what we call them in our country. We've got plenty of them. They're called zoop suiters, I think, or something like that. Whatever that is. But this letter says this. I am a boji and was greatly impressed with your meeting last Friday night. It is quite true, as you say, that there are scores of people whose lives are empty. I know mine was until Friday night. There are hundreds of boaches and widges in Melbourne with empty lives. Would it be possible to hold a special boji and widgey meeting? somewhere central. For sure, your message would be of great value to all of us. God bless you, a converted boji. Now, I'm going to speak this coming Saturday night to young people, primarily to teenagers. And I hope that this great bowl will be absolutely filled with young people Saturday night. You say, now what is a young person? I usually ask the teenagers in our crusades to stand up 
and you'd be surprised how many have bald heads and gray hair. But we want all of you to come, of course. But uh, in order for an older person, by older person I mean if you're past 90, in order for the older people to get in, we want you to bring at least one teenager with you this coming Saturday night. Now I want you to turn for our text this evening to the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. The 8th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. We read these words. Then said Jesus to those which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest that ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And then I want you to turn with me to the 18th chapter of John, the 18th of John, uh, beginning at the 36th verse, for another text. Jesus answered. He's talking to Pilate now in the judgment hall. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? What is truth? There has never been a more penetrating question ever asked than the question asked by Pontius Pilate 2,000 years ago to Jesus Christ. What is truth? Jesus had already said to his disciples, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Men all over the world today are engaged in searching for truth in every realm of life. Science is trying to discover the truth about the physical universe in which we live. Philosophers are trying to discover the truth about human existence. Anthropologists are trying to discover truth about the origin of life 
and man. Psychologists are trying to discover truth about mind, about actions and reactions. Physiologists are trying to discover truth about the human body. Toward the end of his life, Buddha, the great founder of Buddhism, made this remarkable statement. He said, I am still searching for truth. Buddha never claimed to find truth. He said, I'm still searching for it. And yet, one of the most astounding claims that has ever been made by any man in history was made by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. Muhammad never said that. Buddha never said that. Confucius never said that. No philosopher of history, no emperor of history has ever before claimed to be the incarnation and the embodiment of truth. Now, either Jesus Christ was what he claimed to be, or Jesus Christ is a liar and a fraud and a charlatan. And every person in this audience tonight has to decide which one he is. If Jesus Christ is the incarnation of truth, then nothing else in life matters except him. I should follow him. I should do everything Dr. Wood has just said. I should give everything I have to him and his cause. But if Jesus Christ is not what he claimed to be, then he's one of the greatest liars of history. And you and I have to face what I call the inescapable Christ. He cannot be avoided. You have to do something with him. You have to decide whether he is what he claimed to be or whether he is a fraud. It's been my privilege in the past few years to go on to many universities and colleges to give talks and lectures and addresses and sermons. And I find that young people today in the university and college are searching for truth. They are discussing many of the latest philosophies and ideas that men give. They're studying comparative religions. They recognize that Mohammedanism has made a tremendous impact on the world. They recognize that Buddhism has made a tremendous impact upon the world. They recognize that communism is making a tremendous impact upon the world. They also recognize that Jesus Christ made a unique impact upon the world in which we live. Who was this Christ? What is it? He stood up before the men of his day and said, I am the truth.
Again, the Bible says about him, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. The Logos, which was Christ, was truth. In Psalm 85:10, the Bible says, mercy and truth are met together. And the scientist today is seeking for ultimate truth. We are trying to find the origin of life. We know a great deal about life, but we cannot generate life. We cannot manufacture life. There is a mystery beyond which science has not been able to go. Someday, someday, if what Jesus Christ said is true, if the Bible is true, someday the scientist is going to find that Jesus Christ is that mysterious spark of life. The Bible says in Colossians, the first chapter, beginning at the 15th verse, these words, Now Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. He existed before creation began. For it was through him, I'm reading from the Bible now, for it was through him that everything was made, whether spiritual or material, seen or unseen. Through him and for him were created power, dominion, ownership, and authority. In fact, listen to this, every single thing was created through and for him. He is both the first principle and the upholding principle of the whole scheme of creation. The Bible indicates that all life sprang from Christ. The Bible indicates that he holds all things together. I do not have time to go into any scientific explanation tonight of the universe. I don't need to to an intelligent audience like this. But this microphone or this desk is made up of atoms. Those atoms are held together by a mysterious cohesive power. That mysterious cohesive power that holds all things together, the Bible says, is Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ were to let go for one moment, this universe would blow up, according to the Bible. You say, Billy, can you prove that? No, I cannot. I'll go further and say that I cannot even prove the existence of God. You cannot put the mighty God in a test tube. You cannot put him in a mathematical formula. And I know many people that say, I will not believe in God unless I can see him and touch him. God is an infinite being. He is a spirit. He does not have a body of flesh and blood like ours. And if you come to God, you must come by faith. 
That's the reason Jesus said, you must become as a little child. You must become with childlike faith to God, to Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God, according to the Bible, that created the whole universe. And if you come to him, you'll have to come by faith. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You shall know Christ, and Christ shall set you free. The Bible says he is the truth. I know that there's a God because down in my heart, I know there's a God. I was born with an innate knowledge of God, and no atheistic system in the world can destroy this image of God within the human breast. You know there's a God, therefore I do not believe there is any such thing as a true atheist. In my study of anthropology, we found that there was not one tribe ever found anywhere in the world, not one nation, not one culture, that didn't have religion and a faith in God. No matter how crude it might be, there was religious faith indicating that's innate within the human heart. I can look at the stars and the sun, and I can read the statistics about the solar system, and I know there's a God. I see the footprints of God. And so I accept this God by faith. But I find that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He Himself is God, that He is God incarnate, that He is truth, and what Pilate was looking for stood before him. Pilate said, what is truth? And standing before him was a lowly Nazarene, just a carpenter. But here was the mighty God in human flesh, the incarnation of truth, everything that Pilate in his generation had been searching for in the halls of science was standing before him. Everything that you and I have been searching for in all of our lives is in him. I read in the paper today about an American film star. She is one of the highest paid women in the world. She said, I am unhappy in Hollywood. I found that money and a glamorous life do not satisfy. She said, I'm looking and searching for peace. She said, I'm going to live a long way from Hollywood in a quiet, rural community. Here's a beautiful young woman searching for truth and peace. And it's found in Christ. He is the embodiment of truth. And he said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Ye, that means everybody, all of you, the entire world, all cultures and races and languages of men, ye. Then notice, secondly, shall know. It's not optional. 
You must know the truth if you are to be free. You can reject the truth, but you will have to pay the consequence. You can reject the law of gravity, but you'll pay for it. You can reject the calendar in your business, but you'll pay for it. You can reject the compass and become lost. You can reject the mathematical formula or the multiplication table, but you will pay for it. You'll end up in error. You can reject the truth as it is in Christ, and you have that ability and that right if you want to, because you have a will of your own. But if you reject the truth, you'll pay for it with an emptiness, Frustration, confusion, lack of peace, lack of joy, and in the end, there will be destruction and judgment and hell. Because you see, you were made to know the truth. You are a living soul. You're more than flesh and blood. You are a soul created in the image of God with intelligence and conscience. That part of you that we call personality, that is your soul and you reside in your body and your soul was made for fellowship with God, for fellowship with the truth. And man, ever since he was driven out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve driven out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin, has been trying to get back into Eden. He's been trying to get back to paradise. He's been trying to find the truth that he lost. And philosophy has been searching for centuries, and they never dreamed that it was in the person of Jesus Christ all the time. He is the truth. What does the truth do? It makes us free. You say, well, I'm not bound. I'm not a prisoner. Go to some prison and tell a prisoner that. I'm not a prisoner, aren't you? The Bible indicates you are a prisoner. There are thousands of you sitting in this great stadium this evening that are prisoners. There are thousands of you watching by television. You're prisoners. You're prisoners of pride. You're prisoners of jealousy. You're in bondage to immorality. You're in bondage to some narcotic. You're a prisoner, and you long to be free. You're a prisoner of your fears and frustrations and a thousand and one psychological problems. You're a prisoner, and you long to be free I tell you tonight, ye shall know the truth, and the truth that is in Christ shall make you free. He will make you free from three things. First, you can be free from the penalty of sin. The entire Bible is filled with stories of sin. I heard a man some time ago say that the Bible is, in places, an immoral book. And if you ban certain types of obscene literature, you'd have to ban the Bible, because the Bible also talks about sex and so forth. The Bible never covers up sin. 
It never makes it look glamorous. It always teaches that sin brings judgment. The Bible tells the true story about men, and the Bible has concluded that all have sinned. Every person in this audience tonight, the speaker, we are all sinners in the sight of God. We have broken God's law. We've broken his commandments. We've come short of his righteousness. We are sinners. We are displeasing to God. And as a result of our sin, there is a penalty. The penalty is death. Death to the body, yes. Death to the soul, here and now. Separated from God because of sin. The soul empty and void, searching, trying to find an answer to the problems of life, but never finding it. And dying in misery and frustration and confusion. Many of you are afraid. I talked to a man on the plane coming over the other day from Honolulu. He said, you know, every time I get on a plane, he said, I'm so frightened I have to have a sedative. He said, when I even see a plane flying over, he said, terror strikes me. I said, why are you flying? He said, my business demands it. man needs to be set free. I told him about Christ and how Christ could set him free. But we are headed toward death, spiritual death, separation from God, and eternal death, which is hell. Separation from God forever. Jesus says, I will set you free. I will forgive your sins. I will change your life. There are thousands of you here today that are just like a criminal under the penalty of death. I do not know whether you have capital punishment here in Australia or not. But in the United States, in many of our states, we have capital punishment. And I have been to some of those prisons where a criminal will be sitting on what we call death's row and he's under sentence of death and he must die to pay for his crime. Every one of us is under the sentence of eternal death. You say, well, Billy, if God is a God of love, why would he sentence anyone to death? The governor of the state of North Carolina from which I come has the ability and the power to pardon any criminal. Was the governor responsible for the criminal going to jail? Was the governor responsible for the murderer going to the gas chamber? No, the governor didn't even know the man. He had nothing to do with it. But a court of law has said the law of the state has been broken. It must be paid for. God has in his universe an irrevocable moral law. And God says anyone that transgresses that law must pay for it. God loves the sinner. But God is a just God. He can't just go around forgiving everybody. Unless the sin is paid for, and either you must pay for it, 
or someone else must pay. The Bible says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I heard about during the war that a lot of the fellows would be called to go out on patrol duty that was very dangerous up here in New Guinea and other places in this great Pacific War. And there would be a young fellow that would have a family. He would show his family portraits to the other fellows during the course of their marches and so forth. And when his time came to go on patrol duty, some of the single fellows would say, no, wait a minute, you stay. I'm going to volunteer to go in your place. And they'd be accepted, and some of them would go out never to come back in order that the man that had a family that was looking for him to come back home might be spared. Jesus Christ, the embodiment of truth, came to die in your place. He went to the cross that we might be set free. We are under the penalty of sin. The penalty is death. Jesus took our death on the cross. He died in our place, and that's why you have a cross. And that's why when Good Friday comes around, we remember the death of Christ. Every time you go to church and take Holy Communion, you're remembering the death of Christ. And on every Catholic church and Protestant church in Australia, you'll see a cross. Why? Why does the church put such an emphasis on the cross? The cross was the place of the execution of criminals because on that cross, Jesus Christ, the incarnation of truth, died in your place. Died for the penalty of sin. And he says, I'll set you free. I'll free you from sin. And God says, because of that, I will put your sins behind my back. I'll bury your sins in the depths of the ocean. He didn't say, I'll bury it in the Yarra River. It may dry up sometime. I understand you have some streams in Australia that dry up certain times of the year. God says, I'll bury your sins in the ocean. We were traveling over across the Pacific, and the pilot came back and said to us, do you know how deep it is here? We said, no. He told us, I've forgotten because I might exaggerate it, but it was a long way. God says, I'll bury your sins out of sight. And God says also, he used another expression. He says, I'll put them as far as the east is from the west. Now, God didn't say, I'll put them as far as the north is from the south, because there is a south pole, there is a north pole. You know, one of the things that's difficult for us to get used to is that when it gets cold here, your wind is coming from the south. When it gets cold at home, it comes from the north. We're in the southern hemisphere here. There is a North Pole, there is a South Pole, but there is no East Pole or West Pole. There is no East, there is no West, and God says your sins are as far as the East is from the West. God said something else. 
He said, I'll remember your sins against you no more. How wonderful. I cannot forget the sins I've committed, but God has the ability to forget, and God says, I'll remember them against you no more. I'll wipe them out. What a wonderful thing to go to bed tonight and know that every sin is forgiven. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And then the second thing, he says that he will free us from the power of sin. You know, there are many people I found here in Australia, and certainly true in the United States as well, that are confused about the mystery of God. A man said to me the other day, he said, you know, God is a big mystery. Well, I want to ask you something. If God is such a big mystery, have you ever thought about the other mystery? The mystery of evil. The mystery of iniquity. The world's finest brains trying to devise peace. Mr. McMillan in Moscow. A thousand and one efforts to bring about peace. And yet the history of the world indicates that every generation seemingly has to fight it out. There's a mystery. There's another mystery down inside of you. You don't want to do bad, but you do it. You don't want to lie, but you do tell a lie. You don't want to be jealous, but you are jealous. You don't want to be unforgiving, but you are unforgiving. You don't want to be proud, but you are proud. You don't want to commit immorality, but you do commit it. You don't want to get drunk, but you do get drunk. There's a pull. There's a tug pulling you down always. And it's a struggle for the best of people to keep above the mire of evil all around us. There's a mystery, and it's called in the Bible the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of lawlessness. We are seeing the whole world at the moment in revolt. Africa is revolting and seething. All over the world there is revolt There's the revolt against everything we've ever known. The Bible talks about a mystery. A mystery. That is the power of sin. The power of sin to grip a man, a man in his right mind, a university professor, if you please, the finest and the highest and the best of the nation, to grip him. And he can do nothing about it. He's in the chains and ropes of sin. Jesus says, I'll free you. I'll set you free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the Bible says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. It will not rule you. It will not be king and lord and master of you any longer. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be free from those things that are binding you and holding you down? You can be. By simply giving your life to Jesus Christ. You have to do it by faith, mind you. How do you do it? You do it first by repenting of your sin. 
That means that you're willing to acknowledge that you have sinned, and it means that you're willing to turn from your sins, but secondly, it means more. It means that you receive Christ by faith. Now, that is a definite act of your will. Right now, where you are, you can receive Christ. You may be sitting in your living room at home. You may be right here in this vast amphitheater. But you can receive Christ tonight, right now, and your life can be changed. Don't ask me how it's done. It's a supernatural act. It's done by the Holy Spirit. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms and changes your life, and that is called in the Bible regeneration. The renewal of life, you receive new life. That can happen to you right now. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. How wonderful to be free. Therefore, tonight, the only free people in the world are Christians. The Christians that are in Russia tonight are free. The Christians that are in America tonight are free. The Christians in China tonight are free. The Christians in Australia tonight are free. And they are the only truly free people in the world because their souls have been set free from the penalty and the power of sin. And we have become more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then the Bible teaches, someday we shall be set free completely from the presence of sin. The Russians did a remarkable thing a few weeks ago. They sent a satellite out into space that got beyond the pull of Earth's gravity and is supposedly orbiting around the sun. Someday the Bible teaches we shall be taken as children of God away from the pull of sin and we shall spend eternity with him exploring a glorious universe that he has created for us to enjoy. And no longer will we be tempted by the devil. No longer will we have the temptations and the pull and the gravity of sin. We shall be completely free. Those and so as Mr. Graham continues his message here at the Music Bowl, we're sorry that we have to leave you with this telecast this evening. However, many of you listening right now would like to be free. You'd like to know this freedom of sin and the power of sin that Mr. Graham has been spoken about. Right now, you can give your heart and life to Christ. If you will, receive him right there in the privacy of your own home. Wherever you may be, you can say yes to him. And if you will, won't you write Mr. Graham a letter this week telling him about your decision? Then tell your minister, be in sure and be in your church on Sunday. You've just witnessed the most thrilling part of any service to me and to those of us on the team. The invitation time when people respond to commit their life to Jesus Christ. You know, you can do that too in your own home. 